right. Okay, I think we'll get started here in about a minute once everybody's settled. Um, before I introduce myself, can I get like a, I want a feel of the departments that are represented here, like musicians, artists. Um, let's start with uh, maybe the, how many uh, like uh, visual artists do we have here? Okay. Any theater? Uh, communications, journalism. Okay. Music. All right, good. Anybody that I'm missing, just shout out. All right. Graphic designers. <laughs> Graphic designers, yes. <laughs> Uh, all right, great. Well, thank you guys. Thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Denise Glenatzis Bayer. I am the executive director of the Legal Creative. I am an attorney in town with the law firm of Harrington Hoppy and Mitchell, um, which is located in downtown Youngstown, Warren, and Salem. And I'm also a graduate of YSU's Department of Theater. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Theater. And after I received my uh, Bachelor of Fine Arts, I worked a little bit as a dramaturg in um, some traveling shows. And then I went to Case Western Reserve to receive my law degree, which I focused on uh, law and the arts. So I have um, a nice mix of law and the arts background. Uh, one thing that we're going to talk about today is we're going to have a general overview of just business law in general. It's going to apply to not just every major that's here, but anyone that might be interested in starting a business. Uh, because one thing I, I think that you need to have is a, you know, a great a background in the types of legal entities that are out there, um, especially if you're going to if you're going to become, say, a freelance designer, if you're going to start a band, if you're going to, you know, if you're working as a musician and maybe you want to have some personal liability protection um, entering contract to contract, um, or, you know, if you're a freelance uh, journalist, uh, these are the type of things that you should take into consideration because. I have a lot of friends out there. In fact, I was looking at outside at the wall, and uh, one of my friends that I went to school with here, Todd Krispinski, is out there. And he, is, he has a full-time employee-employer position with the Great Lakes Theater uh, as the Educational Outreach and Development Director. But on the side, he also has a very robust scenic design company. So he will likely need to have some type of liability protection for his separate you know, design company entity that he does outside of his nine to five type job. Uh, so we'll get started and we'll talk about all the business entities that are out there. And then um, about halfway in between we'll switch and we'll talk about contract law. And that might be uh, whether or not you are interested in incorporating or starting a separate business for your particular line of work, um, you will all need to read a contract at some point in time, and you should understand what that means. And particularly with the, the majors and the types of uh, areas that you're studying in the College of Creative Arts and Communication, um, there are certain clauses that you should be aware of, and you should be able to understand how to interpret what this language means. Um, so we'll get started. Uh, first of all, I, I like to give a quick overview that's basically, don't be afraid of attorneys and accountants. We're very nice people. <laughs> um, don't be afraid if you receive a contract or you're not sure, you think maybe you should incorporate, you're worried about personal liability protection. Don't be afraid to speak to an attorney about that because uh, there are a lot of um, either attorneys out there that maybe are looking for some pro bono credit. Now in Ohio, I'll warn you, there are some states that require attorneys give a certain amount of hours of pro bono credit. Ohio's not one of them. We, we just are, you know, the bar says, you know, it would be very nice if you donated 50 hours of your time each year. Um, 
And I, 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 yeah, I will say there are a lot of attorneys that probably go above and beyond that. But um, for something that's uh, specific in your area, you might want to find something like the legal creative that is more of a volunteer lawyers for the arts that um, has that access to attorneys that have a background or experience in specific areas. So um, we want to make sure that you understand that it's, it's very easy to work with a professional and you really should um, as opposed to Googling issues or anything like that. Um, if you need a contract, a sample contract, uh, uh, you do want to talk to a professional about that because depending on where you are, there's specific um, pieces that need to be included in that contract. You might pull something off the internet that's appropriate in Massachusetts, but uh, has a clause that's void in Ohio or wherever you're going to be working. Um, you should also understand the basic decisions that you need to make in starting and growing your business. Uh, some of those decisions are, do you want to stay as a sole proprietor? Um, you know, say if you're a photographer, you have a photography business, do you want to stay as a sole proprietor and enter into contracts as yourself? Or do you want to form a separate entity, maybe a single member LLC that would provide you with some personal liability protection? Uh, also understand the relevant tools and considerations for choosing a legal structure. And that's what we'll go over. Uh, and that's also what's in your handout. All the different types of legal structures that are out there, what they do, some of the benefits, some of the cons to each of those types of entities. And then finally, uh, we want to just understand the basics of contracting, what those words mean. Um, I'm sure that there are still contracts out there that have this very thick uh, legalese in there, um, but that is going away. Very rarely do you see these, you know, the party of the first part or to wit or, you know, there's, it's the, mostly it's written in easy to understand language. Um, and again, I caution, you know, it's really easy. Um, on the one hand, it's great to do some preliminary research online to figure out, you know, what this might mean. But you don't want to just pull something off the internet or rely on that in order to go forward or in your interpretation of a contract that's presented to you. Um, also, you know, we've looked at these type of contracts and that's why I suggest you know, say, if you're a musician, you probably want to go and, and you have a contract to perform um, in a symphony. Um, maybe you just want somebody to take a look at it briefly before you sign it. Um, we understand, too, that, you know, for instance, in a lot of industries, there's going to be standard contract forms. You're not going to have a lot of negotiating room, but it's still important for you to at least have somebody look over it and explain to you uh, what these clauses mean and what these terms mean. So that's why I recommend uh, for something that's specific in the arts that you might want to find an attorney that has a background in you know, legal issues that pertain to artistic endeavors. Okay. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about why you might want to um, you know, form a separate legal entity um, are any of you concerned about that? I just want to get a little feel. Are any of you, like, currently right now have a business and you're making money and, yeah, what are you doing? Um, freelance design Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Photography. Mm-hmm. Videography. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that when we get into the contract point, um, if you're dealing in a business that deals with intellectual property, it is so important to have an understanding between you and the client in writing. Uh, with some of these things, you know, with photography, um, and, and even with graphic design, you might want to consider forming a separate entity for the personal liability protection. Um, you might be, as a graphic designer, you might be asked to create a logo for a larger corporation, and they might include um, a clause in that that might state that you're going to indemnify them and hold them harmless. 
against any claims against uh, trademark infringement or anything like that. Uh, so that might be something where you would like to enter into the contract as a separate, as an LLC, LLC just to um, she shields you from personal liability. Welcome. <laughs> so uh, the big thing is liability protection. Uh, and we say limited liability protect protection because uh, there are ways that you can pierce the corporate veil. You know, if you're not treating your separate entity solely as a separate entity, then um, I could say, well, that's not really, you know, Joe Smith uh, LLC. That's just Joe Smith, and he's not really treating this as a separate um, corporate entity. And some of the ways that that could happen where you could uh, go through and uh, pierce the veil and find somebody personally liable is you know, how you sign contracts, um, how you're treating your, your bank accounts. You should have a separate bank account for the LLC. If you're just kind of dipping into money here and there from the LLC account and not taking an appropriate draw that goes into your personal account, then I could say, well, this, there's really no difference between Joe Smith and Joe Smith LLC, and so he should be personally liable. And if I have a lawsuit against him, I'm going to you know, file a, get a judgment lien against his house. So the, those are the type of things that you're trying to protect by creating a separate entity. Um, also sustainability. Um, if you're gonna put all this effort into your work, you know, um, whether, you know, say uh, you're a freelance journalist and, um, and we'll get into that with copyright law, you negotiate with um, certain papers that, you know, maybe you are going to write, um, maybe you're going to write an opinion piece and that gets published. You negotiate that you are going to retain the intellectual property rights in what you've written in your contract with these various entities that you're writing for. Um, and that can be put into your own LLC so that you know, those intellectual property rights can be transferred to someone else when maybe, you know, to your children when you pass away. Um, if you don't want to carry on your business anymore, it's very easy to um, sell it as a whole package as opposed to try and buy a sole proprietorship, you know, especially with, you know, something with um, a photography business or if you have a set client list. It's very portable and e easy to both sustain and also to transfer to others. So it's a way of capturing your worth in you know, whatever area you're practicing in. Uh, and also the ability to have a clear set of rules governing your business relationships with others. Um, so they know when they enter into a contract with a corporation or an LLC, who they are dealing with. Um, and also, there's a very clear statutory set of rules. In Ohio, we have, in the Ohio Revised Code, various chapters that tell us how an LLC is supposed to be run, how a nonprofit corporation is supposed to be not run, what they're supposed to be filing each year. Uh, and so if I wanted to do business with someone or say I want to donate to a nonprofit theater group, I can go online, I can check their charitable registrations, I can see what they're doing with these funds. Um, so a couple of considerations uh, in terms of forming an entity, uh, tax considerations, and that's where I say, you know, don't be afraid of working with professionals. It's not just attorneys, it's accountants too. Uh, and also the ease of operation. If you're just a single person, you know, you have your own graphic design or visual arts business, or, um, you know, you're a musician, you probably don't want to form a full corporation because what comes with that is a ton of legal requirements in terms of filing requirements with the Ohio Secretary of State, um, annual meeting, annual meeting minutes, uh, so there's a ton of requirements that probably as a single person you're not going to want to deal with. That's where something like the LLC comes in, the single member LLC, because there aren't as many filing requirements. Uh, so ease of operation and tax considerations. Uh, if you're thinking of starting something, um, say, you know, one 
um, group that I'm helping out right now. Um, they have a dance troupe. Um, it's to help people with special needs um, in terms of you know exercise and movement and and that type of um, social skills. Uh, so that's something that probably would fall under a nonprofit type of entity. Uh, so that's where they would probably want to file for tax exemption uh, because no one's really going to be getting any type of residuals or um, corporate payouts as in a regular corporation. Uh, and also tax considerations for you as a single member. I think we have, I don't know if you guys, there's a chair, a couple over here if you want to come up. If you're uncomfortable sitting over there. Yeah. There's like two right behind here. But um, one thing for the person that is maybe a sole proprietor and considering a single member LLC for liability protection, there's also an, a, a great way, uh, that's also a great way to streamline your tax deductions for your business. If it all goes through the LLC account, um, then it's a lot easier to give to your accountant to show your true business expenses that you can then write, you know, write off as a part of the, um, as the, your tax return at the end of the year, or the beginning of the year, whenever you file. Uh, so what type of entity should you use? As I mentioned, the corporation, maybe not applicable to someone that there's only one entity uh, or one person involved. Uh, this is, you know, been around for hundreds of years. The benefits to the corporation, it's a tried and true entity. Um, the way you would create it is through articles of incorporation. You know, maybe three people get together and they want to um, you know, start a magazine or a publication or something like that. Maybe they're considering forming a corporation because there's just this very solid body of law that's out there that governs what happens with a corporation. LLCs are relatively new. In fact, I still have some older guys that have said to me, well, I'm not, I won't do business with an LLC because they'll be gone in a year. And I think that that mentality is really <laughs> going away because what LLCs did is replace the, um, they provide a flexibility that the S corporation used to provide. Uh, it's a lot easier to manage and there aren't all of those requirements that the corporation has. So it's getting a lot more use than it has in the past and it's um, now it's, it's new compared to, I mean it's just a baby compared to the corporation, but it's been around long enough that people are familiar with seeing LLCs and now have, maybe have a little bit more trust in them. Uh, you form a corporation by filing articles of incorporation with the state, you know, in Ohio, it would be the Ohio Secretary of State, um, whatever business office uh, you have in the state that you're in where you'd like to file. Um, you have to have a code of regulations, you have to have minutes, there's shareholder and directors, um, and then for all these entities, you apply for a taxpayer ID. There uh, needs to be three directors, uh, three officers, but they can all be the same person. Uh, and again, the advantages are that this has been around for hundreds of years. Um, we have really clear rules as to how we govern corporations. But the disadvantage is that it is very cumbersome with someone who's just by themselves um, because of all the annual requirements. So the limited liability company that's been you know, a lot more favored in recent years uh, is just formed by filing articles of organization with this, the states, um, either uh, you know, in Ohio it's the Ohio Secretary of State or any uh, business office of the state that you want to file your uh, LLC in. Uh, the operating agreement is the bylaws of the LLC, and you should have one even if you're creating a single member LLC. So, and that just 
you know, that governs how the organization is run. And when I talk about piercing the corporate veil, like these documents, I always tell clients you should have, you know, all you really need is this plastic, you know, three ring binder and keep your articles of organization from the Ohio Secretary of State. Keep your operating agreement. Um, the appointment of the statutory agent, it, you appoint them when you file your articles. But if that changes, you better keep that up to date with the Ohio Secretary of State. The statutory agent is the person who gets notified for legal notices and things like that. So if you're going to be, sometimes as an attorney, I act as a statutory agent because usually if I'm looking up an LLC and I need to provide them with legal notice and a lot of times that means you know a lawsuit or a demand letter, then your statutory agent is going to be served. So if you don't keep that address up to date, and if that statutory agent isn't up to date, um, then you could get a default judgment against you if someone files a lawsuit against you. So you want to make sure that that's up to date, um, and you want to make sure that um, you, uh, if, if you move and your attorney, say, is acting as your statutory agent, you want to update your attorney or whoever your statutory agent is with your whereabouts so they can get a hold of you should they receive any type of legal notice. And then apply for a separate taxpayer ID. That's an EIN that you apply online on the IRS. It's free. I had one client, a photographer, come in to me. She said, well, I got my EIN. You know, I paid $200 for it. And I was like, what? It's free. It's free on the IRS. So that's another thing. Be careful because when you go online, there's, there are a lot of these um, websites that mimic uh, state or government websites and you think that you're on the real you know legal site but it's actually just a money-making thing so just be very careful so your EIN is free articles of organization filings with the Ohio Secretary of State there's fees associated with that and I'll go over that um, the LLC is really flexible um, the people that own the LLC are called members so if you start a, um, you know, a design business, you can be the single member, or if you start a design business with a couple other people, um, it can all be, um, it'd be a multi-member LLC, and the LLC can be run or managed by the members, or you can hire a manager to operate the day-to-day -day, uh, business dealings of the LLC, and the manager can be, it can be a member, but it doesn't need to be. Uh, some of the advantages, very flexible. You don't have all of those requirements that you have uh, with a corporation. Um, there's an automatic flow through taxation, so you don't have to, uh, that's one thing with the corporation, unless you elect otherwise, like as a, unless you elect to be taxed as an S corporation, uh, the corporation, if you bring in money, is taxed, and then you, as the shareholder, when, if you get a distribution, then the distribution is taxed. So you're essentially taxed twice. But with an LLC, you have an automatic pass-through taxation. So that's why people like the LLC, is because it provides you with that liability protection that the corporation has always done for years and years, but gives you these, this flexibility and these tax benefits. Uh, so what that means, flow through taxation, it means that uh, if I start, you know, maybe I'm starting a, um, uh, maybe I'm a graphic designer or I'm a photographer, uh, and I start a single member LLC, uh, I, I'll actually be, I will receive liability protection, but I'll file my taxes as if I were a sole proprietor. So when you file your individual taxes, you will have a Schedule D attached and it'll show profits and losses from your business. Um, if you have a multi-member LLC, if maybe a band wants to form an LLC uh, to enter into agreements and performance gigs and things like that, um, the members will each be given profits and losses, and they will be taxed as a partnership. But they will be given the uh, protection 
the LLC is also pretty much um, taken over partnerships as well because it provides you with more the liability protection of um, the corporation um, while still giving you, like partnerships always had an ease of taxation. So multi-member LLCs will be taxed as a partners, uh, partnership. So uh, each member will, just as if you were a single member LLC, each member will have a schedule attached to their individual tax returns that show the profits and losses from the LLC. Yes? Can someone be added on to an LLC, or does everyone have to sign the same? Yes. Uh, it's that is adding on members is governed by the operating agreement. So say if you started off as a single member LLC, uh, usually, you know, say any amendments or, you know, to this agreement need to be in writing. <coughs> if you wanted to add somebody on, um, you would, uh, when you form an LLC, one of the things you do is you provide an initial capital contribution. Uh, so, you know, say, you start an LLC with $100, and that represents 100 units. Units is what we call shares in an LLC. Uh, so say you want to, um, usually you would do like a membership unit uh, purchase agreement with whoever you want to bring on. Because you, as the single member owning 100%, would probably um, sell whatever amount you want to sell to the new person. So yes, and then in a multi-member, LLC, that depends on what the operating agreement says. So I've written some where people have said, well, we don't want anyone outside of the original three members to have any ownership. You know, so there's different things that happen. So essentially in that instance, if a member passes away or if they want to sell their shares, they have to offer it to the other members first. Uh, so. Yes, you can, and that, see, and this is the benefit of the LLC, is that it can be as flexible as you want it to be. So all of that, how it's run, how we govern it, is written into the operating agreement. But you can add, if later on, either in, in a single member, you can make it a multi-member, or you can add and sell um, units and membership interests in a multi-member LLC. Any other questions on that? Okay. Um, uh, the one thing you do need to look at is there might be self, uh, potential self-employment tax um, if you're sale, selling items. Um, if it's a single member LLC, you will have to pay that self-employment tax as a sole proprietor would. If you're selling goods, you obviously have to make sure that you are um, paying, you know, in Ohio, the Ohio Department of Taxation, paying uh, into the, the taxes, uh, accepting taxes on your sale of goods, and then paying your sales tax to the Ohio Department of Taxation. Um, for those of you that might be considering forming a nonprofit, you know, one of the examples I gave was the dance nonprofit. Um, uh, maybe another big one would probably be a theater nonprofit, you know, performing arts center. Um, I, the big thing that we need to ask is, you know, why, why are you forming this corporation? Uh, because a lot of times people, they think, well, I'm going to form a nonprofit, it'll become tax exempt, and then money will fall from the sky, <laughs> you know, where they don't realize how, how difficult it is to um, maintain all the corporate formalities that are required of a nonprofit. You have to register with the Ohio Attorney General's charitable law section um, you, before you can solicit funds from people. Uh, you have to, um, you know, file a Form 990, that's your tax return, the IRS each year. Uh, so you have to make sure, you know, that, you, you know, the, the nonprofit, any excess that you have at the end of the year is earmarked for programming that goes into the next year. Uh, so unlike the uh, regular corporation, you're not having where at the end of the year the excess is going to the shareholders, the owners of the entity. The nonprofit needs to earmark all of their funds for their programming. Um, so I think that if somebody, you know, one of the things, and this was even in creating 
the legal creative, um, you have to, like, they always talk about founder's syndrome. So, you know, it, this was created knowing that this would be essentially given to the community. Like, after I'm gone, I hope that somebody, a board and another executive director will take over the legal creative and it'll live on in perpetuity. Um, so it's not something that, unlike in an LLC where maybe, you know, where I mentioned, maybe you have some intellectual property or your ownership and your, um, uh, all your business goodwill in your LLC, you want to be able to transfer to your children or to your spouse. Uh, in the nonprofit, anything that is put in, it, it, I, I feel that, it, you know, it's just imagine it being given to the community um, it's not for any personal, one person's personal gain. It's something, it's a need, a charitable, educational, religious, scientific need in the community that will live on. Uh, so if it's something where you think, I want a lot of control and I want to own it, well, you probably shouldn't form a nonprofit, maybe form an LLC or a, a, your regular corporation. Uh, the corporate formalities. With the corporation, you file initial articles of incorporation. There's a $99 filing fee, uh, limited liability, articles of organization. Um, again, $99 filing fee. And then sometimes if you, know, you want to reserve or register a name prior to filing, and we can get into this too uh, with, um, when we talk in November about trademark and copyright. Uh, the only requirement for an LLC name in Ohio is that it be different from other names of LLCs on the records of the Ohio Secretary of State's website. I've had clients who have said, well, I registered my LLC and somebody else is using my LLC name and they think that they have some sort of trademark rights in their LLC. Reg registering your name and filing your articles of organization as an LLC does not give you any intellectual property rights in your LLC's name. So you just need, if it's some, so if you come up with a great name for your business, that's great, and you can file and register under that name for the business, but realize unless you take a second step um, and file, use, use that name of your business in commerce and then file a trademark registration, you're, you will not have any um, registered, you know, trademark rights or intellectual property rights in that name. So, yeah, I've had, that has actually come up, so. Um, and uh, the corporate formalities, this is what I talk about when I'm talking about piercing the corporate bail. You want to make sure that everything is separate, so it's not just Joe Smith, you know, the using the LLC funds or the corporation funds as his own personal slush fund. Um, only pay business bills and your salary or your draw from the account. Uh, another big one is document loans from you to your business and vice versa. So this would be one thing where I'd think, you know, with something like photography or with the band, like who is going to own the equipment? You're investing all this money in your equipment. Do you want the... Um, LLC, if you form a separate entity to actually own the equipment, if that's the case, then you should have, and you already own it, and you want to put it into your separate entity, then you need to have a bill of sale from you to the LLC. And a lot of this, it might seem funny, especially if you're a single member where you're like, well, it's just a paper, I'm just, you know. But, I mean, this is the type of stuff that if somebody wants to get at your, you know, something really bad happens, and someone wants to get at your... Um, you know, your personal assets, that's what they're going to look at. So, you know, say I want to, I, I have a judgment against you and I'm, I'm going to go after um, your drum set. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, if I don't see that there, you can't just say, no, no, my LLC owns it without have, showing me, oh, I have this bill of sale and it's dated and it's with my three ring binder with all of my articles of organization and my operating agreement and my resolutions on behalf of the LLC. So you need to keep all of that in an easy to find space. Oh, and the other big thing, enter into contracts and agreements in your business's name. 
because otherwise, why even form the separate entity for liability protections if you're still going to enter into a contract as Joe Smith? Uh, use your business name you know, on your website and things like that. Make sure that insurance policies are in your business's name. Uh, and also, when or if, you know, hopefully you would like your business to grow, when and if you hire any employees, make sure that you, you know, if you're in Ohio, register with the Ohio Department of Jobs and Family Services and start paying into um, withholding taxes there. Register with the Ohio Department of Bureau or the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation and pay into that and make sure you're withholding these taxes from your employees' paychecks. And in, in this, you know, I said don't be afraid of accountants, don't be afraid of attorneys. Uh, you can sometimes find an accountant that will also offer payroll services or just find a regular payroll company. Um, it's well worth the money so you don't have to deal with withholding taxes as you grow and add employees. Uh, and here's the liability protection that I mentioned in signing. Uh, you, there's a big difference between the top ABC company by Jane Smith president and the bottom Jane Smith, Jane Smith president. The top, the company is liable. Um, for payment. On the bottom, I can come after Jane Smith individually if there's a breach of contract. So you want to be very careful. If you're going to go through all the formality of creating a separate LLC or company or uh, corporation to protect you personally, you want to make sure that you're signing appropriately. Uh, and then this leads into putting things into writing. I think that with all of the departments here, that's probably the one thing that uh, everyone's afraid to do for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like, it, it, you know, one time I, you know, when I was on the board of a um, nonprofit theater, and I realized that we weren't really, uh, there was, there, nothing was in writing with anybody. And I sent a letter out to uh, one of the subcontractors, and they were just like, this letter, what is this letter? They were like personally affronted, and someone said, well, that's what you get when you put an attorney on the board. <laughs> so I was just like, no, it's not, it's not that we distrust you. It's this is my understanding of you know, what you're supposed to do for us, and then you tell, you know, we want to make sure that what's documented here is your understanding of what you're supposed to do and what you expect of us in terms of when you expect payment. Um, you know, what services that you're expected to provide. So you really need to reduce your business understanding into writing. It protects you, it protects your assets, um, and also uh, helps in any of these life events that might happen. And with all of you, you will all have some sort of intellectual property that needs to be addressed in these agreements. And you know the big thing, it, you know, one thing with graphic designers is that, uh, say, you're creating something for someone, or you're a videographer, a photographer, and they think your client thinks, well, okay, well, this is mine now, and they, you know, it, and without anything in writing that says I retain all of my intellectual property rights in this work, um, you, you can get into a big fight with your client. So why not at the beginning? Give them something in writing that says, hey, this is our understanding, and then you can foster that relationship going on, as opposed to you have a client who thinks, okay, well, I'm hiring you to create this for me, or this piece of music or uh, you know, that I'm gonna use in my commercial for my business, and you know, what do you mean that? Now I see you, it's in your portfolio, and you're using this portion for somebody else. Um, so without having something in writing, you could have an angry client, um, a, you know, when if you sat down and kind of documented everything in the first place, your client would have a better understanding. And that also provides you a chance to negotiate your payment. So if somebody wants full intellectual property rights and wants you to grant them an exclusive uh, right to the use of a piece of music that you're creating, well, you're gonna charge them more for that. 
Um, if you, you know, decide, okay, well, I'm writing this for your commercial, but I'm giving you a, uh, you're paying me for my time, and I'm giving you um, maybe a non-exclusive license to use it in your commercial, um, then that's uh, less of a licensing charge. It's less of a fee. So it's better to have these things addressed at the beginning and then maybe be able to keep a client going on than to have things fall apart and have a good relationship be turned bad. This is just a quick video of real artists talking about their experiences. just some real life stories about leads us into what you should look for in contracts and contract reviews and the importance of contracts. Um, you know, the musician in there said, you know, I get a lot of these standard contracts and they have this boilerplate language in there that says that whoever I'm licensing this music to, they have the right to do whatever they want with. Well, he knows to look out for that and to alter that. And he might be in a very good negotiating position to state, if you want to use my piece of music, then we need to, um, then we need to take that clause out. Otherwise, we're, I'm not going to go forward with the licensing. Um, just to give you a quick you know, uh, law school 101 on contracts, you know, what is a contract? A contract is an offer, an acceptance of an offer, and the exchange of something of value. Uh, there has to be some consideration um, for there to be a valid contract. A verbal contract, uh, it, I, you know, it's not worth the paper that it's written on is the old joke. Because uh, unless we have something that I can actually look at and understand, my understanding of what our oral conversation is, is very different. You can, under some legal circumstances, enforce an oral contract, but it's an extremely high uphill battle. 
So you want to get things in writing. Um, you want to make sure that the contract is between two or more competent people. It represents both sides' understandings of the particular terms of the agreement. Um, and both sides, they have to do something. You know, if I am a writer and I'm giving a, um, you know, a, um, uh, all I can think of is blog right now, but what is, what you say like an opinion piece or like a, like what Connie Schultz does. Yeah, I mean, you know, something, you know, if I am, I'm obligated to provide this piece of writing, the paper's obligated to pay me. Uh, an offer has to include what that consideration must be. So she needs to write something within a certain time frame and provide it to the publisher, and then the pub publisher needs to pay within a, under certain conditions. There are some agreements that must be in writing. Um, if the agreement spans more than a calendar year, that has to be in writing. If there are, uh, is, it's between a sale of goods, so like a very large art piece that is $500 or more, uh, that needs to be in writing. Sales of personal property over $5,000. And the big one is the transfer of copyright ownership. And that's where, you know, when I, my uh, example before with the graphic designer where I've, I've had this <laughs> so many times where they have this client and, you know, you, maybe you're exchanging through email and everything yeah, is going gangbusters and there's this wonderful relationship and you just love working with each other. And then uh, the, the um, client takes, you know, expects that they should have every single file that that, designer worked on, uh, that they own it, and then they can take it and give it to another designer to manipulate the image. Well, uh, that needs to be in writing. If there's going to be a full transfer of copyright ownership or any type of intellectual property ownership, that has to be in writing. And that can be a very difficult conversation to have with the client if you don't approach it at the beginning. So some key elements that you want to look at in an agreement. Um, it's very small on my screen. I don't know if you guys can see it. But you want to cover the, the scope of the work, the complete understanding of what you are supposed to be doing. Are you writing a, a musical piece? Are you performing? Um, you know, are you designing something? A complete description of the work to be done. When it's supposed to be done, the timing. Complete description of when the work will be done including a schedule if it's supposed to be done or delivered in stages. Payment, how and when will you be paid? Um, it may include deposits or progress payments. Um, what, if anything, will be paid out of the contract if it's terminated before um, it can be finished? Who owns the work? Who's, how are you going to receive credit? Um, you, may be, you may agree that um, say something in you know, music for um, a commercial or a video, you may agree, okay, well, we will give you an exclusive license, but I want attribution credit. I want my name on there somewhere. Um, performance clauses. What's, what if one party doesn't do what it said what would, it would do? Uh, a lot of times we'll have liquidated damages clause, which clauses, which means that if somebody doesn't do what they're supposed to do, what are the ramifications? Are you going to go to court? Are you going to go into mediation where you try and work it out be before filing a lawsuit? Uh, those are the types of things that should be in agreement. Who's going to have control over artistic decisions? Um, how? If it can the agreement be terminated or canceled, and if so, how? How can we modify or change this agreement? Uh, amendments, can amendments be negotiated? Uh, a lot of times it will state that any amendments or modifications need to be in writing and signed by both parties. Uh, which expenses will be covered and by whom? Um, are you going to uh, say if it's a work of art is being commissioned, a painting, then who's going to pay for the, uh, the paint and the canvas? That can be addressed in an agreement. Who covers insurance or delivery costs? 
and also the big thing is releases and indemnification. That's something that you know, we'll discuss when we talk about trademark. But a lot of times if you are asked by someone to create a design or to create any type of work um, which would cover anything that any of you might be doing, you might find an indemnification and hold harmless clause. And that's something to be very careful about in making sure that you understand what it says. Because if you're providing something, uh, you provide a design that uh, someone's going to use, a company's going to use on their website, or you provide a piece of writing someone's going to use on their, um, in their publication, um, there's probably going to be a clause in there that says that uh, if there's any type of lawsuit with regard to intellectual property, copyright, trademark infringement, that you, as the person who's providing this uh, work, you are going to indemnify and hold harmless, m meaning defend the, the company in a lawsuit. So you have to be very careful with that type of language. Uh, and then arbitration or uh, mediation. Sometimes there are those type of clauses that give the parties an opportunity to work things out prior to filing a uh, lawsuit. And I think since we are running out of time, I'll probably just skip to uh, some things that I'd be very cautious about. Be very uh, cautious about contracting away these rights, you know, copyright, intellectual proper property, unless you're getting paid for that. So that's something that you negotiate. Full and complete re reproduction rights, the right to sublicense your work to other companies without having your prior written approval, um, and ownership of your original works as part of a licensing agreement. And again, you know, always get things in writing and always state clearly in these agreements and contracts how you, you are going to handle intellectual property rights. For more information on copyright, uh, you can go to copyright.gov. The US Copyright Office has a great, robust, informational, easy to navigate and read website. On fair use issues, Stanford uh, has a great um, section on that. Uh, for things online, Check out Creative Commons, which is a licensing scheme, um, and also uh, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Uh, and also the UMUC has a great uh, library on copyright issues. Yeah, well, I'll take any questions. I know you guys probably need to run to another class. They're hungry. But, yeah, you want to eat, but... It was a real quick run through. I know there's like, law is, it, number one, it changes every day. And then number two, there's just, it's a lot of information, but you need to kind of have a, I hope that today you'll have kind of, you got a, at least a, a, a taste of what you'll be looking for so that when you are actually out there and trying to make a living off of <laughs> your majors that you, you're, this is familiar to you. Um, join us in November for the talk on trademarks and copyrights, and then again in the spring for the workshop where you get to work through some of this. If you guys have additional questions, just sit tight, and uh, Denise, I'm sure, will be happy to address them. So, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. All right, we'll see you later. Multimedia program.